welcome to the first ever Lit Bits, uh, or Bits of Lit, if you like. I'm Adam Smythe, and I'm joined in the pod uh, by James Kidd, and also today by Joe Brooker. We're going to think a little bit about football and literature, and the relationship between the two, and whether anything interesting can be said about football and literature as a combination. Apparently David Beckham's got a series of children's books about to be released, um, featuring a avuncular manager called Big Dunk. <laughs> and well, Walcott, The Adventures of Theo Walcott, I think. I think it is, yeah. Um, about a sort of young, zippy Ford. Is that specifically to promote literacy as well, I think? It's oh, really? Yeah, among footballers? Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's something interesting that in baseball you do have that extraordinary moment, certainly in films, where the pitcher stands for about yeah, half an hour right. staring the other guy, and there's this, there is this sort of sense of individual combat, whereas football, yeah, but are there just too many people? And how do you film something so spontaneous? So uh, can we think of any more actual writers who've crossed over between the two things? Cano was a goalkeeper, wasn't he? He was nearly was professional. Pope, Pope John Paul II, I think. <laughs> and uh, Jacques Derrida as well. There are photos of Derrida in, in, I think in goal, in the front row of a team photo in Algeria. Pope John, John Paul II. I think was a goalkeeper as well. Good with um, crosses. Did Derrida ever write about football? No, I, well, look, Derrida wrote so much, didn't he, that who knows? There's also the thing about the cachet of the writer, um, the failed cachet of the writer who, who wants to be sporty, of when Martin Amis would be the obvious case of mm. playing snooker here and tennis there and writing about the World Cup over here. Jeff Dyer and Rushdie wrote an, an essay on, on about Jinla, a terrible essay. And somebody pointed out in a review that, that the way Rushdie wrote was sort of childlike and pathetically teenage. And he said, he shoots, it's in, goal! But how else do you write about football? That's a good question. There's something, there's something about that which I find rather sort of touching. But there's a difference in, in forms of writing, isn't there, between Kevin McCarroll writing in The Guardian, yeah. giving a, a somewhat detached analysis of the game, trying to pull the game's chaos into some sort of order, and that kind of rushy attempt to... Attempt to enter what he thinks is the genre of writing about football, how you write about football, which is actually kind of quite naff. The, 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 the big link, link between literature and football is comic books and cartoons, isn't it? Oh, Roy the Rovers. Yeah. And that tradition of goal in caps yeah. and five exclamation marks, yeah. which is presumably what's behind that yeah. rush bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm very fond of, of that, that tradition. It's very old-fashioned, isn't it? It's very traditional. Mm -hmm. That's a really, a truly an English tradition, uh, the football comic, that one just doesn't want to see die. It was also, the, I think those books were also always about wish fulfilment, weren't they? The, the, mm. the, I, I always remember Roy Thoreau as being... They were three 0 down, yeah. two minutes to go, and he would have a broken leg. Well, then of course that entered something... that entered the reality. Is that when that happens in reality, you say that's a Roy, real Roy of the Rovers <laughs> game, and that was a Roy of the Rovers performance. You do, you yeah. do. But maybe that's one of the problems with writing literature about football, in that you can only really tell the same story, can't you? Which is three 0 down at half time, and then four three at full time. So, so it would be great to imagine a work of literature about a nil-nil draw or a one-nil victory. Yes, 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 that's right. And that seems, yeah. you would think, yeah. I mean, it's initially not very compelling, but you could think that you could make well, that into something course. quite interesting. Oh, I, well, you know, here's a great case that we haven't mentioned. David Tolson's book, 4-2, about the World Cup 
final of, nine, of 66, which was published in 96 to capitalize on that 30-year anniversary. And um, this is a really fascinating, really wonderful book with alternating uh, chapters of which um, one chapter will be a kind of speculation and um, meditation on something that football uh, stirs him to think about, like uh, the relation between sport and time, for instance, and he thinks about how uh, American sports have a different relationship to time from English sports. But the other uh, set of chapters are a ball-by-ball -ball description of what happens in the game. I mean, literally every, How is that everything that happens. Moore receives the ball from Charlton and passes it out left to uh, Cohen, or Cohen right back or left back, Wilson. So it's as sort of anatomical as that? It's not, yeah, there's no, Cohen picks up the ball and throws it back down the field. But I, and I suppose one, one challenge if you're writing a book about football is what football stands for, what the game, mm. the progress of the game stands well, for. Right. And is it, is it yeah. simply, as you're saying, um, passing a bit of pigskin between you know, 11 people against 11 other people? Or is it a story of individual heroism? Mm. I don't, I don't think it is sort, that, Or is there some sort of that's moral a, That's history? a misreading, isn't it? Individual heroism is, is, is a misreading of football, don't you think, as a fan? Books have attempted to force mm. it into that mm. template. And so film, film in particular, yeah. It's about the star striker and that kind of thing. But football isn't really just about those individuals. Well, have we come to an interesting point, which is about novels, novels generally being about individuals, yeah. individual character. Yeah and the individual defined against the group, and football being about groups and collectives, and perhaps the novel is just not a form that can convey that. Yeah, and when the football, when, some, when somebody behaves in a really individualistic fashion in football, it is quite remarkable and admirable, and people, and, but, but that's when you talk about the Roy of the Rovers. What is football about? I mean, if you write a novel, I mean, no, foot, real football in reality isn't about anything but itself, but if you write a novel, there's some sense in which mm -hmm. you want football to be an access to some other theme, isn't there? Yeah. Or um, I'm getting you somewhere else, some kind of big, you know, no, but, idea about the way we live. But that's a problem, isn't it? Because that also yeah. means you're moving away from the football game. You're yeah. offering it as an example, but only as a means to climb somewhere else. And I really like that idea that you were describing of a very deadpan, yeah. unadorned description of a yeah. game. He passes to him. There are, also, there are also strange ways of being excellent at football in the way Ferguson took, remember talking about Maldini having a some phenomenal game in defence because his positioning was so formidable mm. and precise that the ball never mm. went anywhere near him. He yeah. didn't touch the ball ever or yeah. tackle or intervene. Running off the ball. Yeah, I could do that. Yeah, well, <laughs> or the ability to shield the Sol Campbell-like ability to shield the ball the, out the, can, over the, the line. Yeah, <laughs> no, which on any real level isn't, doesn't seem to be much of a sporting achievement. And one of the, the, the more memorable things... Unglamorous like, skills. Yeah, they don't... Well, that's why I'm interested in things like The Linesman. There's that rather good film of The Linesman sort of well, ballet dancing. Referee's assistant or whatever they're called. Yes, yeah, the referee's assistant. And, and that film about Zidane from the sort of... From a, which just concentrates on, on Zidane, which mm -hmm. has got this extraordinary um, soundtrack. And, and Zidane typically does something brilliant and scores a goal and then gets sent off and, and so you don't get the full mm -hmm. 90 minutes. But that's a concentration on, on the, mund, the, mund, the mundane yeah. bits mm -hmm. of it. I, I, think I think there's... I think actually we've sort of hit on a curious... Um, uh, interesting analogy between football and literature. Contingency and mundane life within it, whereas something like tennis, let's say, is about a, set, a sort of um, always a dramatic confrontation. Yeah. Somebody's about to serve as hard as possible towards somebody else. It's about two individuals. Whereas football is about this kind of buzz of activity, some of which is, is quite nondescript yeah. and happens in corners of the pitch. And, mm -hmm. and even if something dramatic is happening 
in one part of the pitch, there's the whole rest of the pitch where there's lots of other people on it doing undramatic things. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a kind of analogy there with art that is interested in contingency in the mundane, like uh, naturalism or mm -hmm. in certain uh, kind of traditions in the novel. Well, that's really interesting because it's the idea that with tennis or even snooker or darts, you always know where to look, whereas football, yeah. mm -hmm. you don't always need to look because someone, you know, Saul yeah. Campbell is inevitably elbowing people, someone. It's funny when you first get to go to see a game, Something straight, you don't know. The pitch is very green, immaculate, and beautiful, yeah. and, and incredibly well manicured. Yeah. The players are tiny. I always think the goals look rather small. I'm amazed that they ever really? score. But also, initially, I think it's very disappointing as an experience. If you've seen football on TV, it was incomprehensible. I couldn't get any sense of what was going on, or who was doing well, or the placement of the players. I couldn't pull it together into any kind of story. And there's the there's a fascinating moment, maybe this is a parallel, isn't it? When you're watching a game, when you're listening to a game on Radio 5 making your, you know, pasta or whatever, mm. and it starts to run and there's action going on five minutes past, ten minutes past, fifteen minutes past, and at a certain point, around about fifteen, twenty minutes... And the green turns up and does the rest of the half. <laughs> well, that, but also, there's a sense that this is a good game or a bad game, yeah. or a boring game or an interesting game, and it's... it's there's quite... nothing to see here, folks. If you wonder why we're not <laughs> exactly. talking about the game... there's a point, which is like seventeen point three minutes. When he first says that, and I'm always looking out for that and wondering how much of the game has to pass before you can assess it mm. in that way. In the same way when you're reading a book or a novel, mm. how, many, how many pages, Quality. how many chapters do you Quality. go in? With football I find that mm. when I go and watch it, I sort of think there's this chaos that somewhere Alan Green or Alan Hansen is <laughs> making sense of to, to show you at half yeah. time. Says he's running out of position, but I, I, I just yeah. think he's... Yeah. And they, look as, they don't look as though they're actually thinking about being right. in position. No, 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 this no. looks like he's... <laughs> thinking about his half-time sausage or whatever. Any sport you see live when you don't have that commentary, right. I do you feel this kind of mess and chaos. But I think there's a really interesting parallel in, in what you said between reviewing, reading a review, that you might read a book, or it's like a film or something, and, and then you read the reviews, and they might be you know, quite different from what you thought, as you just said. And uh, that can happen with a football report too. But, you know, there's the experience of watching a game, and then the re you read reports and they, they don't... You know, it's like the old letter to the NME used to say, were you at the same gig as me? You know, did we go to the same match on Saturday? There's that kind of discrepancy yeah. with the written... So, so the question is, when we read a football report, do we want the, the yeah. facts and do the data, or do we want, do we want something yeah. more? But is it ever significant beyond the fact that of football itself? That's right, because are, are we reading, are we enjoying the beautiful prose of McCarroll, enjoying some kind of insight that's unlocked. Are there anthologies of great football match reports? Mm. Do people read them seriously or do scholarly research? Are they? And how does it relate to, say, a writer in the sun, you know, sort of? Mm. Um, well, those, are that, that, those can be bad people. <laughs> but there's an interesting question of scale or history here, isn't there? How you talk about football, how narrow your focus is or how broad your, your focus football is. Focus. Your football focus. <laughs> Ray Stubbs. And so, I mean, we've been talking mostly about single games, about 90 minutes, but mm. we were just talking then about seasons and well, the team, club's history. Teams, I think, is, I mean, the, the, the relationship yeah. of, of, and this is where the fans come in, the fans to mm. a team. There are these two very different ways of experiencing football. There's the in-the-moment present tenseness of the game, mm. but then at the same time, as you say, you're mm. aware of this long sort of 40, 50-year narrative of the club's history and your relationship with yeah. it and your father's relationship with the same team, perhaps. Yeah. And... They exist at the same time, don't well, they? Well, again, that's a bit like literature. There's the individual text, and there's also literary history, and like Eliot's tradition, you know, mm. the 
the, uh, the, the new work, the really new work, changes uh, the tradition that it entered and mm -hmm. reshapes the past. But does football get changed as much as, say, as literature would? Because uh, that's one of the things about football, I suppose, it does, it's, the great thing about it is it always stays pretty much the same. I suppose that's one of those mm. great. So there's a, a set of very basic temporal restrictions on But within that, there's any amount of kind of improvisation or creativity. And there are, people do talk about the modern game, don't they? People talk about the way Barcelona play being something different from how games were played in the 40s and 50s. So, it, so is there a sense that football has, has changed? I think it does time? change. I think it does change, yeah. But the, the actual physical elements of the game change. The pitches are different. The ball is different. The boots are different. The bodies of the players are different. But isn't the big years ago. difference in certainly the way it's written about is it's about finance it's politics, yeah. more than anything else now the conversation that seems to be about yeah. football is mm. who are we buying yeah. is our club going to go out of business and yeah. I'm sure Dead. in a way that pre-Jimmy Hill it was mm. we can't earn more than two quid a, a decade yeah. mm. whereas that seems to be the business of football now seems to be one of the ways that mm. the writing about it has changed yeah. that you have people yeah. like David Kahn looking at flotations on the stock market, which actually I find interesting and at the same time incredibly tedious. Yes, the, 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 the promotion game to the Premiership they describe as the most valuable game in the mm. world, worth mm. sort of £60 million, pounds, don't they? There's always an eagerness, isn't there, to identify supposedly, in a jokey way, intellectual footballers. Uh, Peter Be sorry about Peter Beardsley. Beardsley. Peter Beardsley being the professor because he has an O level in Are you geography. Um, Steve Coppel uh, had a degree from. No, he was from what, he genuinely. That's why Steve Coppel is so tortured. You know why he's had to leave. You know every club he's been at, most of them Crystal Palace. After after three months, you know. But the question, the really interesting thing about football songs is is a question about authorship, isn't it? Mm. How they get mm. created and who makes them and how you launch one into the world. And presumably there is a moment when a football chant is only known by one person and he tells it or she tells it to a neighbour and it gradually spreads. But it's a remarkable process. I, I always found it very find hard 80, people as a boy to understand how all these people had come to know the yeah. same words. But is, it, is it a test of, of loyalty that you go week in, week out, so you learn that... Because I don't watch football very often live, and so when I go, I've got not the first idea who I'm supporting, for one thing, but also what <laughs> they're saying, who they're referring to. I often don't know who's in the team. What, why do you sing? Why sing at a football match? Or chant, or shout? Why? It's much quieter in Spain. And is it? I think, I, think mm. I think they make this kind of ooh noise, and then there's lots more ooh. And occasionally they'll throw a pig's head on the And pitch. then there's this kind of extraordinary <laughs> with Yes Figo. And, really? and I think it is part of British. wanting to influence the game in yeah. when you clearly can't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just a very idea. I, I've never quite got my head around what it means to say you support a team. Really? I mean, I can see that in start financial terms. Just to say, I support mm. them. And if you people are quite happy to say that and seemingly legitimately say it, if they've never go go to a game, just watch them on TV, have an entirely you virtual think the relationship. Verb is wrong. The verb support. Well, is I don't quite understand what it is that they're doing when they say I support. It means that they want one team to win rather than. Another. But that's different from support. That's a wish, isn't but it? Do you think I hope they win. That's not saying I'm supporting them in their but do you think journey to win. <laughs> do you think that's it? I always say supporters they quite like it also when they lose because then they can really. The singing then seems to be an important part of. Mm. Been, when I've been to Chelsea a couple of times, they sing to, to get on the backs of their players. Yeah. I think some there's a kind of masochistic desire for the team to lose as well, so they yeah. can really boo and yeah. and that's that's a new thing in, in British. In I've noticed the booing of yeah. the team yeah. often yeah. after eleven seconds mm. when they've mm. not scored. Well, again, it comes back to this question of yes, mm. when is the game deemed bad? Mm. 
Mm. And different teams have different answers, don't they? Yeah. Well, I wonder if this half time. You know, if it's not going well at half time, a chorus of boos rings out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that desire to be involved, I think, that again does feel a new. It's an extraordinary thing, isn't it, when you see a, a major game played behind closed doors with no fans at all? It's mm. very, very odd. And when you hear the shouts of the individual players on the pitch, oh. it's a very unsettling experience because it reduces yeah. the game to what it really is, which is not is. any different from being on the playground and people shouting for the ball. Or well, there is a sort of a weird thing that occasionally you do think these are grown men doing what I did to a certain point in my life and then just thought I've no. got more interesting things to do. I have got more interesting things to do. There is something sort of gloriously infantile about, or not infantile, but there is that kind of childishness about these men in shorts, that mm. men don't wear shorts very often. But they do. But they get paid huge amounts of money, and people pay just as much money to go and watch them do it. What is? I mean, about watching football, as I say, Tottenham fan. The experience, to be honest, is usually you know take the lead, lose our way, bumble around. Everyone gets disquieted and frustrated. Opposition score, and you get that sort of noise from the opposite corner of the opposition fans, and and you know, and, and around you, this sort of mixture of silence and muttering and. Um, Frustration, and then we sort of, at some point in the second half, find our way again and score a winner as darkness is coming. So you have down. a clear sense of the narrative, yeah. Of our top yeah, narrative. I just feel. I was thinking about this. Really, I thought that's what has happened again and again. But there's interesting about literature where I read something that I know I'm going to find challenging and diff- difficult rather than just reading P.G. Woodhouse or something. Mm, because it's, it's good for me, and that pain and pleasure thing. Yeah. And football, I never think is sort of good for me. I enjoy watching football, but there is a sort of there is an agony about... There's a thing, there's tension and nerves is one thing, isn't there? But that's different from the actual unhappiness of watching the team fail and frustrate and lose their way. And I don't enjoy that. But on the other hand, if you think, what's the alternative? You know, think of your team races to a 3-0 half-time lead. The thing that I don't like about that is when they then don't do anything second half and they <laughs> substitute people and take the foot off the gas. And what I want the team to do in that position, or my team, is go on and, like when they beat Wigan 9-1, I, don't, I want them to keep attacking and scoring goals till the 93rd minute. It's funny, in Italian football, that's, there's a sort of gentleman's agreement that you don't do that, isn't it? Yeah, is that right? Because Mourinho, they, everyone says Mourinho at Chelsea would, after t- they went 2-0 yeah. up, they might as well stop. It's funny interesting to hear you describe how you feel at the end of a game, because at the end of a football game, I've enjoyed, and you know, you're usually quite exhausted and invested. And then after about two or three minutes, I, I think, what was the point of all that? But there's, but there's something... Um, Face self-effacing about the game and it ends and then there's just another game and at the end of a season you win the league and then really? in a few months time there's, there's another season the great thing about sport is both more intense and less intense than life and what I find in fact we were watching I remember when England got knocked out of the last World Cup and we were watching it with um, some friends one of the people that got so and it actually, as he richly does got so upset <laughs> um, we actually had to leave the flat because he couldn't be around people and there's a point where I just assume England are going to lose every time they play. But there's also a feeling that once they've lost, I feel generally upset at the moment of actual... And then you can go on with your life because sport, a bit like literature, you, you bring into your life to, to a point, but then you get on with your life and it, it's an addition to your life. I don't carry it... An addition. That's an important idea, I think. You know, it's our sport and art. Additional supplements to life. Mm-hmm. The kinds of conversations that people have about football yeah, and the way people... Yeah talk about football yeah. because we must all have had that experience of you know listen to the game on five live you read the guardian column about it the next day and then you meet your friends in the pub and you effectively recycle pieces of that 
article or quotes from the article. It sometimes feels quite difficult to be able to say anything original or even out in a different kind of register mm. or cadence mm. from all the conversations that have happened mm. in the past about football. There are certain terms, aren't there, and certain stock pieces of rhetoric and certain ways of describing the game that come so easily. You talk about the game during the game. It's a conversation, isn't it, constantly in a way. Well, there's lots of talk, lots of analysis. And in White Hart Lane, I always go with my dad, and there's a half-hour walk from the um, stadium to the tube station, so there's, a, there's this kind of inevitable dissection of what you've just seen over that period. Mm-hmm. Well, I shout at the television. I think you t- I mean, yeah. that desire to yeah, be involved yeah, is, right. is interesting. Yeah, that's right. I think the way that cliche, uh, th- that mm. phrase, at the end of the day, does seem to have come from football and now infects everything. I'm sure that mm. that was a football mm. phrase. Game of two halves, yes. A game of two halves. Where's Cliche- Forgotto? Yeah. Where's Forgotto? It's a game of two halves. I but it's sort of okay to use cliches in football conversation yeah. more than in other yeah. kinds of... I feel when, like when you go to, when you watch a game, you do find yourself speaking in a slightly odd different way. I certainly swear more. Oh, right. Yeah, well what strikes me when you see a game now is, is the myth of that formed football crowd in terms of what mm. they shout. But certain kinds of things, certain kinds of racism are totally yeah. off limits, but other kinds of racism. The abuse that Turkish plagued. I thought it was an extraordinary lesson actually when it was the Spain match. Extraordinary abuse. And I thought it was a, a quite good sort of test of, of national temperature. That, in, that It just seemed to be just beyond the pale in England. Mm. And you did think football is a way of actually marking how mm. far things had come. Football fans are generally very conservative and terms of embracing change to the game, aren't they? They're very resistant mm. to change, very mm. resistant to moving grounds mm. or changing mm. kits mm. or changing the way the club plays, perhaps. Or changing technology. That's right, yeah. And then maybe that's why cliches are so... But also, so, it's like what you were saying originally, Adam, that if, if you go talk to somebody else and try and explain to them what happened, you'll find yourself saying, he went on a mazy run through right through the defence. He beat five people that's and right. unleashed unleashed a thunderous shot into <laughs> the his pocket. And that yes. sounds kind of prefabricated, but it's actually an accurate description. I suppose, I suppose the place where these pictures come out most is in international games and in yeah. World Cups, when you just get these descriptions of yeah. national temperaments and the way people play. And it's amazing to me the degree to which they still are permissible. I mean, yeah, this un- undoubtedly this summer you hear people talking about German organisation, and perhaps there's some truth in that. And you know, African naivety mm. at the back, but a sort of eager willingness <laughs> up front. And a cultish enthusiasm. For the yeah. Game. <laughs> How about the USA? What's their image? Their image, American I think, team? is of very finely honed athletes, athletes with no talent right. or no creativity. No, they're not creative, but they're athletic. Yeah, which is ridiculous because you see players like Clint Dempsey. That's kind Fulham, of how, but, more, yeah, but relatively, he's not, not that good. The funny thing, do you know what's funny about is that that's the old stereotype of Eastern Bloc teams. You know, athletes that were organised and dull, I guess. Because there were great maestros as well, like um, Stoichkov and Belenov, Vasily Ratz and um, Georgi Haji, yes, you know, people Haji. like that. So they, they did have their wizards. I think the US national team is a bit of an enigma. In that it, it, because I don't, I think I can quite pin them down as an image. You know, mm. I don't quite know what to expect from them. Probably any team with someone called Landon Donovan <laughs> in, you'd expect a... An individual there, wouldn't you? A bit popular in Dynasty, I was. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's also the fact that individual commentators have their own phrases, isn't it? Diabolical. Tell you what, I mean, for me, diabolical. Well, it, Hansen's interesting because yeah. of the if the destruction of verbs, pace, peace, power, strength, strength, yes. Power, peace, passion. It's got a lot. 
One thing defenders don't like is playing against pace. The <laughs> thing they don't like even more is playing against great pace. <laughs> One of my favourite things about commentary is when they ask a question and immediately answer it. Can he finish? Yes, he can! <laughs> if you ever have tried to um, do a commentary. No, I'm sure it's extremely It's hard. extraordinary. Just, we, we mock these people. After about that, that 10 tough. seconds, you just break down to, and, and, and hit it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you do that, though, <laughs> if you ever play football? Uh, I don't yes, know, often, yeah, you know, you know start you've got yourself talking about it all the time. Yeah, it's terrible. I enjoy Lawrenson. I think he's extraordinary, sort of mixture of camp and world weariness. <laughs> but I, but I, think, I think the job of the analyst is much easier, isn't it? Which he has. He just sort of dips in every now and again with a few choice words, and he's very much... Less is more, man. I still think it's something was lost when Des Lynam was. There was something wow. the amateurish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're quite right. Of it. The way that he would address Hanson as, well, you, you chaps know about yeah. that. Why did he do that then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. But he just happened to be watching it. But I just happened to be watching football too. Yeah, and yeah, I no, really absolutely, understand. absolutely right. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, he was somehow stood outside of it. For us, yeah. in our, he was our um, delegate, wasn't he? Yeah. And I think that's what I was trying to say earlier, and probably clumsily, that I think not t taking it too seriously, knowing oh. it's important, mm. but knowing mm. what it's important. That's right. Well. No, you're quite right. That is Lynham, yeah. But, you know, I haven't told my greatest uh, literature in football story, which is that the 1988 uh, European Championships, Barry Davis was commentating on a Germany game, and um, Franz Beckenbauer was standing there by the uh, touchline, and Davis said... Clearly a man with the knowledge of Milton. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And um, I uh, wrote him a letter some, uh, what, 15 years later when he retired and to commiserate him, well, to express my sorrow about his retirement. And he sent me a lovely reply which said, um, they also serve who only stand and wait. football certain players become personalities or they become yeah. a character we yeah. and it's mm -hmm. it's obviously someone like Cantona who does the kind mm -hmm. of became the pantomime villains mm -hmm. slash mm -hmm. Euro intellectual slash charming mm. mystic but what, what is it about when you watch football that the way that certain um, players become mm. characters. Mm. That's quite interesting about the, the drama it is, of it. It is. I think it, it is a lot of what we've been talking about has been is, is to do with that experience of watching a game and, and seeing how things which are in flux and contingent settle into mm. Pattern. something patterned or yes. things which are little atoms yes. and apparently unconnected Frameworks of interpretation. come together yeah. into something yeah. that can be Well, David James, for example, who made all those... Uh, and, He's always made mistakes, but probably no more or, or, or fewer mistakes well, he than has, he's, He has made more mistakes. But it's undoubtedly true that there are players who are read for, the, for this sense of their character, which is different from how they actually are. Yeah. That's right. One other thing we should discuss, okay. if that's okay. okay, which is value. Like, which do you prefer, literature or football? I, 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 in the sense, which is more important to you? Because we're talking about these things as having a role in our lives, or how would you compare that... Um, the respective importance of them and value to you. They're slightly different kinds of value, aren't they? For me, football's football games are very compelling and enjoyable and significant in the moment of it happening, <coughs> but as I've described, a minute or two after it, there's this almost ludicrous sense of what was the point of all that. And it's a very reassuring presence in my life. You know, mm. Reading the reports, mm. I don't think they lead anywhere for me, but they're very reassuring benchmarks and familiar... Yeah kind of markers, um, I might read them in the same time each day or 
in the same place. They're, they're, they're yeah, really reassuring. Wow. Football is a principle of continuity in our lives. That how long have I been a Tottenham fan? Nearly 30 years. That's longer than I've been reading modernism. <laughs> <laughs> to come back to this thing about what is the role of these things respectively in your life, I do think it, they are sort of semi-autonomous worlds within our, our mm. own world, the world of our life. You, have, you, you inhabit a world, you have your, your own world which is your life but but then there's the world of football which you enter quite regularly and read about and watch and there's literature's world i suppose is a single world but also has kind of an infinity of mm-hmm. fictional worlds within it, doesn't it yeah and there is that there is a pleasure isn't there in that <clears throat> moment of entering into it yeah. crossing the line crossing the threshold and what's dispiriting is that sense of it bleeding into everything all mm. the time i still think i mean the interesting about time and it's that extraordinary moment in that match when Beckham got sent off and England thought they'd scored. I think oh, yeah. Campbell, uh, Campbell, Campbell yeah. scored. Yeah. And I was in a he pack. was a Tottenham player at the time, so I was happy. And all that happened, it went on and on, this match, this extraordinary sort of rear guard, blah, blah. And that moment, the whole place was united, mm. thinking we've, we've done them. It was Argentina, we had 10 men. And, and I just rolled, and I can, I, can, I can feel it almost physically. The moment someone said, they're still playing. And it was like some strange lesson about life or some where it, it should have stopped. The reason why I think people thought it had gone in and was legitimate was partly because... It probably was. Partly <laughs> I think it was. Part was partly because it satisfied the script that we thought we were getting or the story we thought we were getting, which was about going down to ten men mm. and Shearer heroically a playing a right back. It was a good performance, though. And yeah. it seemed to have a momentum or a storyline that was going to be fulfilled in that header. Well, that's all we have time for on today's Lit Bits. I'd like to thank my pod co-driver, James Kidd, and also today's guest, Joe Brooker. There'll be more Lit Bits delivered plump and warm to your computer soon. But until then, this is Adam Smythe saying, 